Chapter Twenty Seven of Doom Castle. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Carolyn. Doom Castle by Neil Munro. Chapter Twenty Seven. The Duel on the Sands. The chamberlain stood near the door with his hand in the bosom of his coat, fingering the flagellet that was his constant companion, even in the oddest circumstances, and Count Victor went up to him, the button concealed in his palm. "'Well, you are foregoing,' said Simon, more like one who puts a question than states a position, for some hours of Count Victor's studied contempt created misgivings. Elia Termatou, and possibly Monsieur will do me the honour to accompany me so far as the avenue. Sir, said the Chamberlain, I have known men whose reputations were mainly a matter of clothes. Monsieur is the first I have met whose character hung upon a single button. Permit me to return your button with a million regards. He held the silver lozenge out upon his open hand. "'There are many buttons alike,' said the Chamberlain. Then he checked himself abruptly, and— "'Well, damn it! I allow it's mine,' said he. "'I should expect just this charming degree of manly frankness from monsieur. A button is a button, too, and a devilish serious thing when, say, off a foil.' He still held out the accusation on his open hand— and bowed with his eyes on those of the other man. At that MacTaggart lightly struck up the hand, and the button rolled twinkling along the floor. Count Victor glanced quickly round him to see that no one noticed. The hall, but for some domestics, was left wholly to themselves. The ball was over, the company had long gone, and he had managed to stay his own departure by an interest feigned in the old armour that hung, with all its gallant use accomplished, on the walls, followed by a game at cards, with three of the ducal entourage, two of whom had just departed. The melancholy of early morning in a banquet-room had settled down, and all the candles guttered in the draught of doors. I fancy monsieur will agree that this is a business calling for the open air, said Count Victor, no way disturbed by the rudeness. I abhor the stench of hot grease. Tomorrow, began the Chamberlain, but Count Victor interrupted. Tomorrow, said he, is for reflection. Today is for deeds. Look, it will be totally clear in a little. "'I'm the last man who would spoil the prospect of a ploy,' said the Chamberlain, changing his highland sword for one of the rapiers on the wall that was more in conformity with a Frenchman's weapon. And yet this is scarcely the way to find your Drimdarroch. "'Mais oui, our Drimdarroch can afford to wait his turn. Drimdarroch is wholly my affair. This is partly dooms, though I, it seems, was made the poor excuse for your inexplicable insolence. The Chamberlain slightly started, turned away, and smiled. I was right, thought he. 
here's a fellow credits himself with being the cause of jealousy very well he said aloud at last this way and with the sword tucked under his arm he led by a side door in the turret angle into the garden count victor followed stepping gingerly for the snow was ankle-deep upon the lawn and his red-heeled dancing-shoes were thin we know we must all die said he in a little pausing with a shiver of cold and a glance about that bleak grey garden we know we must all die but i have a preference for dying in dry hose if die i must cannot monsieur suggest a more comfortable quarter for our little affair monsieur is not so dirty particular said the chamberlain if i sink my own rheumatism it is not too much for you to risk your hose the main avenue suggested count victor is seen from every window of the ballroom and the servants are still there here is a great to-do about nothing but still monsieur i must protest on behalf of my poor hose said count victor always smiling by god i could fight on my bare feet cried the chamberlain doubtless monsieur but there's so much in custom n'est-ce pas and my ancestors have always been used with boots the chamberlain overlooked the irony and glanced perplexed about him there was obviously no place near that was not open to the objection urged everywhere the snow lay deep on grass and pathway the trees were sheeted ghosts the chill struck through his own highland brogues come said he at last with a sudden thought the sand's the place though it's a bit to go and he led the way hurriedly towards the riverside one of us may go farther to-day and possibly fare worse said montaiglon with unwearied good-humour stepping in his rear it was the beginning of the dawn already there was enough of it to show the world of hill and wood in vast vague silent masses to render one the flaming windows of the castle towers behind them in the east a sullen sky was all blotched with crimson some pine trees on the heights were struck against it intensely black intensely melancholy perhaps because they led the minds to dwell on wild remote and solitary places the savagery of old forests the cruel destiny of man who has come after and must go before the dead things of the wood there was no wind the landscape swooned in frost my faith tis an odd and dolorous world at six o'clock in the morning thought count victor i wish i were asleep in camercy and all well a young fellow dear stood under an oak tree lifting its head to gaze without dismay almost a phantom every moment the dawn spread wider at last the sea showed leaden in the bay mists revealed themselves upon benaim of sound there was only the wearying plunge of the cascades and the roll of the shallows like tumbril wheels on causeway as the river ran below the arches far yet monsieur 
cried Count Victor to the figure striding ahead, and his answer came in curt accents. "'We'll be there in ten minutes. You want a little patience?' "'We shall be there, pardieu, in time enough,' cried out Count Victor. "'Tis all one to me, but the march is pestilent dull.' "'What? Would you have fiddling at a funeral?' asked the Chamberlain, still without turning or slowing his step, and then, as though he had been inspired, he drew out the flagellet that was ever his bosom friend, and the astounded Frenchman heard the strains of a bagpipe march. It was so incongruous in the circumstances that he must laugh. "'It were a thousand pities to kill so rare a personage,' thought he. "'And yet, and yet, tis a villainous early morning.' They passed along the river-bank, they came upon the sea-beach. The Chamberlain put his instrument onto his pocket, and still led the way upon the sand that lay exposed far out by the low tide. He stopped at a spot clear of weed, flat and dry and firm almost as a table. It was the ideal floor for an engagement, but from the uncomfortable sense of espionage from the neighbourhood of a town that looked with all its windows upon the place, as it were upon a scene in a playhouse. The whole front of the town was not two hundred yards away. "'We shall be disturbing here, monsieur,' said Count Victor, hesitating as the other put off his plate and coat. "'No,' said Sim MacTaggart, shortly, tugging at a belt, and yet Count Victor had his doubts. He made his preparations, it is true, but always with an apprehensive look at that long line of sleeping houses, whose shutters, with a hole in the centre of each, seemed to stare down upon the sands. No smoke, no flames, no sign of human occupants was there. The seagull and the pigeon pecked together upon the doorsteps of the window-sills, or perched upon the ridges of the high-pitched roofs and a heron stalked at the outlet of a gutter that ran down the street. The sea, quiet and dull, the east turned from crimson to grey, the mountains streaming with mist. Camercy, after all,' said Victor to himself, "'I shall wake in a moment, but yet for a nightmare this is the most extraordinary I have ever experienced.' "'I hope you are a good Christian,' said the Chamberlain, ready first and waiting, bending his borrowed weapon in malignant arcs above his head. Three-fourths of one at least,' said Montaillon, "'for I try my best to be a decent man.' And he daintily and deliberately turned up his sleeve upon an arm as white as milk. "'I'm waiting,' said the Chamberlain. "'So, en garde,' said his antagonist, throwing off his hat and putting up his weapon. There was a tinkle of steel like the sound of ice afloat in a glass. The town but seemed to sleep wholly. As it happened, there was one awake in it who had, of all its inhabitants, the most vital interest in this stern business out upon the sands. She had gone home from the ball, rent with vexation and disappointment. Her husband snored, a mannequin of parchment, jaundice-cheeked, scorched at the nose with snuff, 
and shuddering with distaste of her cage and her companion she sat long at the window all her finery on chasing dream with dream and every dream as she knew alas with the inevitable poignancy of waking to the truth for her the flaming east was hell's own vestibule for her the greying dawn was the pallor of the heart the death of hope she sat turning and turning the marriage ring upon her finger sometimes all unconsciously essaying to slip it off and tugging viciously at the knuckle joint that preserved its removal and her eyes heavy for sleep and moist with sorrow still could pierce the woods of shira glen to their deepmost recesses and see her lover there they roamed so eagerly so hungrily into that far distance that for a while she failed to see the figures on the nearer sand they swam into her recognition like wraiths upsprung as it were from the sand itself or exhaled upon a breath from the sea at first she could not credit her vision it was not with her eyes those tear-blurred eyes she knew him it was by the inner sense the nameless one that lovers know she felt the tale in a thud of the heart and ran out with sim shrieked on her dumb lips her gown trailed in the pools and flicked up the ooze of weed and sand a shoulder bared itself some of her hair took shame and covered it with a veil of dull gold End of chapter twenty seven